Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk some USC football with uscfootball.com, very own Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for the site. Been around us for about five years or so. You guys sent a lot of questions in for Dan. We had Harvey Hyde on yesterday on Monday. A lot of questions for him. A whole bunch more have come in overnight for Dan, too. So tons of questions. We're going to try to get to each and every one of them. If you have any questions for us, you can send them to podcast at uscfootball.com. Or leave us a voicemail a couple of different ways, 641-715-3900, extension 816-646 is the number. Leave us a voicemail there, or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail on the left side of the page as well. Try to keep them brief. If they're over a minute, we're not going to play them. Keep the, the uh, email questions brief as well. I can't read pages and pages of of your de- of what you're saying. You, we'd love you to go to the uscfootball.com message boards if you want to go on a rant, but keep the questions kind of simple and short, and we'll try to do our best to answer them on the podcast. You can go to itunes.com slash peristyle podcast as well if you want to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. All right, well, let's bring in Dan Weber. What's up, sir? Hope you had a good trip back from uh, NorCal. Yeah, wasn't bad. wasn't bad at all. Uh, I enjoyed driving, and uh, there was nobody on the road. That's the uh, beauty of those uh, early, uh, you know, noon games. Uh, Berkeley looks good in the, uh, you know, in the sun, uh, and uh, and that was excellent. So uh, worked out real well. Um, want to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. I'm sorry, that's not, that's the other day. That's Monday. That's not Southern California Tickets. On Tuesdays, it's our buddy Michael Moline Real Estate, who I actually had lunch with today, Dan. So I should really know. Oh, good. I should be really on top of this right now. But of course, you know, doing as many podcasts that we're doing, it kind of screws me up every once in a while. But Michael Moline Real Estate, if you need any kind of real estate help, uh, he'll help you out. We'll see him this Saturday too. He does stats for USC. And the Coliseum Press Box, but you can go to MichaelMalineRealEstate.com or give him a call at 310-275-4688. We'll have a little bit more from him uh, at the end of the show. Um, you can listen to that as well. But uh, Dan, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a really interesting couple, you know, little run here for Clay Helton in the last couple of games. Uh, we had a lot of questions, so maybe we can kind of jump right into it. Great. Let's go. Well, first one, we had a question from Dan for Dan. Um, Dan wants to know, great show. Can we get an injury update from Dan Weber, specifically Marvell Tell, Juju Smith, and any other starters with non-season-ending injuries? Well, uh, Marvell's is close to season-ending, uh, regular season-ending anyway. He's got probably at least four more weeks with that uh, broken collarbone. Uh, he's out at, you know, at practice every day and, uh, not in pads, but uh, he's right there with him working. Uh, Juju, uh, you know, had the surgery yesterday. They put in a, the small plate and the uh, uh, screw to uh, – uh, it's a bone in his hand below his ring finger. So it's not in the finger. It's in that hand, and it's just to speed up the uh, the healing process by, uh, you know, stabilizing the bone and, and, and holding it together there. Um It'll be a matter of, uh, you know, three three days, uh, 
couple of weeks. And my guess is they would love to not have to play him this week, which I think is uh, is where they're going. I would think if he has a phenomenal comeback and by, you know, end of the day on Thursday has them convinced that um, absolutely this is healed and I've got no pain and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and you wouldn't put it past you to do that. Uh, but I think they would probably like to not have to, you know, hurry him and have him ready for next week, uh, it would be my guess. But, uh, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, cross him off the, uh, off the board, you know, for this week. But they're definitely getting ready with, uh, guys like Deontay Burnett and, and Taquan Hampton to, to give them a real chance to, uh, to step into that spot. And they, they both got a, chance to do that uh you know some saturday um uh working very hard on his uh, sprained ankle with steven mitchell today uh not backing off at all uh had it taped up pretty good but uh really pushing off on it and uh, uh darius rogers said he was about 95 percent he looked better than that actually he and uh i'm on marshall had some great one-on-one battles at practice today and uh i was really impressed with uh where Darius is right now. So, uh, so that's pretty much those guys. Claude Pilon came back today with, uh, he got a brace on his left knee and a little extra, uh, uh, you know, sleeve underneath that, but, uh, he was running really well. I mean, you couldn't have, you know, wouldn't have known that he's been out, you know, the last three weeks. Uh, uh, but, but, let's see, uh, Sue didn't seem to be, I mean, I was kidding the other day. I said, you know, with that little crack, elbow that swollen elbow i said you won't be able to pitch his right elbow i said you won't be able to pitch this week but uh you should be fine otherwise and he said yeah he's he's fine uh tyler petite uh said he's back to 100 percent that his foot came along really well toward the end of the week last week and he was uh pretty good to go in the game saturday but today he said uh 100 percent and he's uh he's fine so I think that probably gets us up to up to speed on just about everybody. All right, cool. Thanks for that, and thanks for that question from Dan. Um, Big Nick Cypress didn't really like USC's defensive plan in the fourth quarter. What were your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> uh, I think not as bad as as last year against Utah and Arizona State in those games. So, I mean, I think they're you know. At times they, you know, they back off a little bit and you, you, you say, you know, you probably just got to play the way you can play and, uh, you know, take advantage. But I, I do like some of the things they did. For example, uh, uh, they scored the touchdown to go up 17-7 and they bring extra pressure. Uh, this is the third quarter, but they bring extra pressure and uh, uh, they've got uh, Cal backed up uh, another good kickoff coverage uh, situation. They got Cal backed up. They come with a little extra pressure that Jared Goff hadn't anticipated. He has to throw the ball a little quicker than he did, and uh, Gigi, uh, that's the one that Adore picks off and runs back 46 yards for a touchdown. That's the kind of thing you used to see Pete's teams do. When you get somebody down a little bit, and then you take advantage of them. Okay. Giving them up the last two touchdowns, not, not very cool. Uh, you know, the idea that you've got a, you know, you just got a six point lead and it's 27, 21 and, and, uh, those two first downs that Trey got and, uh, 
and uh, Justin Davis Scott were absolutely critical, and it probably shouldn't have come down to that. Uh, so, yes, is there work to do? Yes, is there uh, you know some thought that this team has to stay aggressive on defense? Yeah, probably. Do they have to trust them uh, more? You know that they can stay aggressive, and uh, you know still, this is a cow team that has some real offensive firepower, and they held them to 21 points. So, you know, I think you can you can take it both ways and say, uh, okay, I like some, a lot of you know what they did, and they're getting better, and they're using their personnel better. But uh, there are ways in which they could they could you know continue you know to improve and. Uh, Again, uh, they just didn't get to the quarterback. Uh, Goff is a good athlete, and he uh, he avoided them. Some, I mean, their their gang tackling, I think, has really improved uh, against the run. Their one-on-one open field stuff still leaves some, uh, you know, something to be desired. You know, they really. I mean, there were a couple of times where you had somebody squared up with Goff, and then they just didn't take him down. And uh, that has to get better. But, uh, you know, there was good good and bad with the way the defense, I think, played. Uh, Let's go to a voicemail question, Dan. Here we go. Hey, Ryan, this is Jay from Pomona. This question is for Dan Weber. Uh, Dan, Ryan, after watching this USC defense play against two very different offenses with a very run-heavy Offense last week and very pass-oriented offense this week. We've seen the true potential of how good and physical this team can be. Um, my question to you guys is: Do you think this is contributed to Clay Helton's hard hat style of coaching, or was this more of Wilcox feeling he can do more with his defense now that Sarkeesian wasn't micromanaging him? Thank you, guys. Keep up the great podcast. Fight on. Jay, I, I don't think it was either or. I think it was probably both, you know. Uh, and, and I don't know about micromanaging. I just think there was a hesitancy to do some things. There was a, a kind of a, a, a fear of, of what could go wrong or whatever. And uh, I, I just think that's gone by the wayside. If the head coach isn't fearful or worried or says, you know, this is the way we got to play, let's go for it, and uh, let's trust everybody, and and we'll you know we'll trust our guys to to get the job done. Uh, I think you know the coordinators who are out there making those calls can be a little more trusting. So I think it's a combination of of both things. Uh, it'll be interesting this week. Uh, they get a a run heavy team. They go back to a run heavy a spread. You know, often team that you know run likes to run a lot of plays or or at least certainly did last year. Uh, but, you know, one that's gaining, I think, uh, more than 265 yards, averaging more than 265 yards on the ground. And so, uh, Rich Rod has kind of found out, figured out a way to make a, uh, you know, wide open, up tempo, you know, kind of spread team a really run heavy team. And, uh, it'll be a, you know, a back to another, another different, different kind of challenge. But, but I do like the way they've, uh, you know, stepped up to play the run, uh, aggressively in you know with numbers and uh and, and tackling you know with a lot of guys uh I, I like that a lot all right good one there let's go we'll go back to uh 
the emails. Uh, this was from Matt. The first USC game I attended this year was at Cal. One of the things that stood out to me was the number of players praying before, uh, both before and after the game in the end zone. I also noticed that several players regularly tweet Bible verses and Christian expressions. What is the role of religious faith for this USC team? USC team? A little different question there, but I thought I'd throw it in for you, Dan. Yeah, I don't think it's a team role. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's uh, letting guys, uh, you know, uh, express themselves. Uh, USC hasn't ever been afraid to do that. I think that's a, a good thing. And, and I think a lot of what happens in the end zone, too, is, um, is uh, you know, they go – I mean, they have, they did it twice, uh, before the game, uh, against Cal is the, you know, the band and the fans were down there. And I think they were, you know, saluting the band and the fans and, uh, guys are kind of allowed to, uh, you know, make their own, their own statements. But it, it's a, it's a really respectful kind of a thing that you see, uh, you know, from these USC kids. You, you can't say enough about these are, you know, these, they're good kids, uh, and, and they show it. And, um, um, it's, it's kind of neat, you know, to see it because it's not orchestrated. There's nobody, you know, telling them to do this or whatever. They just, uh, you know, it's something they want to do and, uh, and they go ahead and do it. And, uh, I think it's even, even better, you know, the way, the way they do it. This is just something they, they wanted to do. But before the kickoff, they had gone over, you know, they, they, uh, when they left the field and then when they came back, uh, before kickoff. So both times they went over and kind of saluted the fans and there was such a terrific turnout of USC fans up there Saturday, but, uh, uh, really, uh, really kind of neat. But, uh, but religion, I think is, is, it's not a, uh, you know, organized thing where everybody, you know, feels like, you know, you're under pressure to do it or whatever. I just think it's, uh, you know, guys, uh, you know, feeling like this is, this is what I want to do, and other guys kind of joining them. But uh, but I I wouldn't you know put it any more than that. Just uh, this is how guys feel. Uh, we have another voicemail question for you, Dan. Here you go. Hey Ryan, this is Ray in San Clemente. Uh, I got a question for uh, Dan uh, since he goes to practice. Uh, I'm wondering uh, while the defense could be better, the defense certainly looks improved. What is Clay doing on defense versus what Sarkeesian is doing? In other words, what direction uh, is he giving to the defensive coaches? Is he more involved? Um, just wondering uh, uh, what the difference is between Clay and his predecessor, and if that's part of the reason we're seeing some improvement in the defense. Thanks for all you guys do. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good observation. Uh, you know, Clay, you know, when he talks about himself, you know, describes himself as the son of a, you know, an offensive line coach, but, uh, he's certainly been in the middle of, uh, when they go, uh, you know, half line or full line offense against defense, uh, he's right there, uh, with both of the, you know, position coaches. He's also there. I mean, one of the ways they start practice, uh, each week. And the Tuesday practice is, you know, with the board drills. <clears throat> and, uh, they're taking more time <clears throat> for specific, uh, position group work, uh, you know, with the, uh, uh, defensive line, with the linebackers. They're doing more, you know, shedding blockers. They're doing more, uh, you know, starts and stances. Uh, just, they're, they're more technique heavy, 
I think they talked about that, that, uh, you know, they're not going to get into the whole, you know, re-scheming things, but they're going to get into doing the techniques perfectly if they can. And uh, like last week, uh, you know, they improved to, uh, uh, you know, I guess we're – well, I guess we haven't gotten the numbers last week, but the week before they, they went to, you know, just one busted assignment against Utah, uh, after the Notre Dame game where they kind of played half, half of the game really well and half the game not well at all. Uh, and, uh, it didn't look like there were too many busted assignments at all. Uh, I'll have to check with that tomorrow, uh, against Cal. And so, um, uh, but a lot of that, yeah, that's the head coach. The head coach has to be, and, you know, when he talks to these guys, he'll talk about three three things they got to do, and two of them involve the line, uh, and one of them is the defensive line, and, uh, you know, what has to happen between now and the end of the year, keep playing the run well and get pressure on the quarterback. I mean, so they're in his thinking, uh, uh, you know, that, that up-front physical, and, uh, you know, I think those kids, uh, you know, are responding. I think they're also turning them loose a little bit more. You see a guy like Antoine Woods who basically for a while was just, you know, a space heater, you know, or just take up space and get in the way. And now they're, they're, he's obviously being allowed and encouraged to make plays and move down the line of scrimmage and, you know, got his first sack the other day and, uh, they're just more active. And I think the kids are really responding. I mean, I think they thought that's how it was going to be the whole year. And for some reason, it just didn't turn out that way. And, um, you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, they, uh, they keep improving and, uh, you know, involving these guys and, uh, and, uh, you know, and the activity level keeps increasing. But, uh, but yeah, it, it all goes back to Clay. I mean, he just is, this is a different, it's a different team the last three weeks. We got uh, – I agree with you, Dan. Um, we have one from Jay in Ukaipa. We've got some running back questions, so I'll ask you the first one. Jay in Ukaipa says, are Madden and more specifically Davis getting more carries than Ronald Jones out of loyalty from the coaching staff rather than on-field performance? Madden and Davis are more experienced. However, Jones averaged, I believe, nearly eight yards a carry, and Davis averaged less than three. Some uh seems obvious to me that Jones needs a few more carries. What say you find gentlemen and fight on and beat the Wildcats from Jay and yeah. yeah, we find gentlemen say he's going to get more carries. There's, there's no question. I think he would have gotten them. I mean, they the last two games they pretty much had about a 15 carry uh uh level for him. He got 15 against uh, uh Utah, but uh against Cal, I think he had uh, the 11. And I think he would have had 15 if he wouldn't have uh, banged up his knee a little bit. And it wasn't, you know, really serious, but it was a little painful. And, uh, you know, where you got a game that's getting a little closer toward the end, uh, do you go with the upperclassmen a little bit more? Um, and then you had a couple of, you know, ties where they decided the uh, 230 pounds of, uh, of, of Trey was the difference. Uh, and let's go with, with that. Uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to have to worry about getting Ronald in there more. I think Ronald is going to be playing more and more, uh, you know, every every game from now. Well, they've got four more, and with I guess uh, if they could run the table and get into the Pac-12 championship game, and you know, uh, they could have six more games. And I think Ronald's going to get a lot of carries. Uh, they're uh, they know. 
there's nothing probably that you or we know about Ronald and his potential that they don't know. And, yeah, you know, you've got three guys that you're trying to balance them out. You want to be fair to Trey. Um, you know, he's a guy who's been terrifically loyal and not had, the, you know, the best of luck in terms of, you know, injuries and all that. But he's a guy that can do a lot of things. He can, you know, catch the ball. He can block. He can improvise like he did on that uh, third and one where he bounced it outside when there wasn't anything there and, and went 14 yards and then still stayed in bounds. Uh, they like that a lot, and, and that's a lot to like. And then uh, Justin was a guy that when they needed, you know, they were third and six, he got seven. So it wasn't that those guys, uh, you know, let him down, but uh, but there's no question Ronald has that, you know, that extra gear, and he's also got that ability to get through seams that maybe the other people aren't going to aren't going to be able to get. And uh, he runs an inside way better than I think any of us anticipated. So. Uh, uh, you're going to get your wish. He's going to get the ball more and more, and, and it, this week is a good time to to uh, see how that how, how that works out. Here's another running back question, Dan. Uh, the G wrote in and said, Dan, the run game seems to be feast or famine. We go from big plays to our backs being swallowed up in the backfield. Can you provide some insight as to why we are so inconsistent? I uh, love the way you guys are playing, though. They're winning and playing. Uh, I love the way the guys are playing, though. They're winning and playing tough, which is all that matters. Great job, guys. You keep us sane. Fight on from the G. Yeah, that's a really good question, and that's the question I think about the run game is is how do you get more consistency? And I do think they probably um, uh, call too many plays. Um, uh, they do have plays where they got guys going east-west. They've got plays where they've got – you know, they're running the ball in the A-gap between right, you know, guard and center, and they're pulling the left guard. And it's not a trap. It's uh, actually to get another blocker there. And you very often, you don't have time. I mean, if he's a 340-pounder, you might not have quite enough time. You might be able to pull him, to, you know, if you're going wide. But if you're going to try to bust it up in there, uh, and what what you end up having is what happened on the Trey Madden play where Trey runs right into Damian. You know, Damien says, yeah, you're in my back. And, of course, there was. And if you're Damien and you're pulling, you're running uh, uh, E-Traffic there. Uh, so they've got to figure that out. I mean, I think the, the run game, I would like to see cleaner design. I mean, I think it's way better than it was. I didn't like uh, a lot of the design of the run game, uh, especially out of the shotgun. And uh, I just didn't think they were doing the right things, and I'm not sure what the point of running any kind of a read option with a quarterback who is absolutely not going to, you know, uh, keep the ball and run it. Uh, you know, they always had the threat, oh, he could, you know, fake it and keep it and throw it. But uh, but those plays, I think, were too slow developing. Uh, I think they've got uh, an offensive line that can, you know. I think they're more of a man-on-man drive-blocking team, but I think they've got to work on that. And uh, uh, they should get more push on those uh, third and fourth and short yardage, you know, and, and, and they get the right call and they, you know, they, they get uh, you know, an easy touchdown and they get the wrong call and they're really scrambling. And they, you know, I think both Justin and, and, and Trey got stopped, uh, you know, on, on short down situations where, they probably shouldn't have been. So hopefully 
the cleanup the run game in terms of these are the stuff these are the things we can do this is how quick we got to run them this is how clean the blocking has to be we don't need to be you know slowing plays down to get an extra blocker there if, if it's going to let somebody you know either stop you know stymie the play at the point of attack or somebody come in from the backside and pull pull a guy down who's looking for where where can I turn this thing up 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 the field I think the other thing I don't like at times is I'm not sure with either tackle that they have the ability to really get outside and hook somebody and 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 set the edge so that you can get wide. I mean, I think they, you know, I'd much rather see them running inside tackle uh, or running straight ahead and and slashing and uh, and maybe even with a lead blocker than trying to run some kind of a you know wide uh, you know zone uh, zone run play. Uh, outside zone run that just doesn't, I just don't see either of our tackles having that kind of athleticism where they can get outside on a defensive end and keep them from, uh, you know, just stringing the play out, which is, you see that too much. So, but good question. That's a question USC has to answer. Um, we had uh, a lot of questions about coaching. And so we'll get to those. But with the first, I wanted to talk about, we had a bunch of people write in. Um, Tarion, uh, Garrett, CJ, um, they wanted to know about the Coliseum, uh, renovation, Dan, the plans. A lot of people wrote in and most, everyone that wrote in, at least to us, hated it. Uh, don't like that mm. it dis- displaced thousands of loyal, quote unquote, common fans. Don't like the fact that the sun deck is still there. Wanted to get your thoughts on that, Dan, since you went to the meeting. Yeah, I, I I'm a little surprised. Uh, as they say, for $270 million, you don't get that much anymore. Um, uh, a lot of it seemed to be basic maintenance, you know, the kind of things that over a century, maybe in two Olympics and all that, maybe should have been done, uh, you know, patching the concrete and widening the aisles a bit and, uh, you know, putting in new seats, you know, that, uh, that just seems to me like something you basically ought to do all the time. Uh, I thought Ricky, I mean, and this is a, you know, a big time critic of obviously the athletic department at this point, Ricky Ellison, but he had an interesting point in his last of three, you know, just stinging critiques, but he called it the um, private boxes, you know, a private suites uh, renovation plan. Uh, he can call it the Coliseum renovation plan. He said, you know, <laughs> in effect, he said basically what they're doing is they're coming up with the, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, taking away some good seats and putting in private boxes. And, um, and then you end up with, you know, a stadium that had 93,000 capacity is now 77.5. And the thing that was most disappointing to me, I thought was the fact that if you're going to take all those seats away, between the 30s, let's say, or the 25 to the 25 on the uh, press box side, I think you almost owed it to those people to give them good seats on the other side, which would have required a deck. And that would obviously be more expensive. But uh, but if Notre Dame can, you know, come up with $400 million and Texas A&M can come up with $485 million and Cal can come up with $321 million, uh, I would think USC probably needed to figure out a way to come up with more good seats, uh, more seats between the, 
you know, and not just for the, you know, the the people that are going to be able to, you know, afford those, uh, you know, private boxes and suites and club seats and all that. And I think that's fine, but I would have liked to have seen them do something, uh, you know, for the regular, you know, the the regular season ticket holders or the donors, like the the fifty thousand dollar donors. What you know, what do you do with those guys uh, if they're still not going to, you know, spring for a big, uh, you know, private box or or the club boxes. So uh, I, I, I wish they would have made a little bit more of a commitment. The $270 million is awful lot of that is. USC's been playing there. By the time they get it um, get it finished in 2019, I guess, uh, USC will have been playing there, uh, let's see, what is it, 95 years, something, 96 years, and has basically put no capital expenditures into that building. Uh, and so when you, you know, if you amortize 270 million over 96 years, that's not a lot of money. And, uh, I would have liked to have seen a more ambitious, uh, project that, that really does some, uh, really upgrades the Coliseum. Uh, this, you know, this is better than nothing, but, um, but not a lot. And if you leave the darn, uh, uh, you know, grandstand, uh, the sun deck, uh, you know, something that would fit in a, you know, high school, you know, stadium or, you know, a county fair somewhere. Uh, that's really bad news. That's a bad idea. Uh, they, they've got to figure out something better than that. I mean, there are places where they, you know, Ohio State and other places that have horseshoes where they had to put in a, a an end zone. And I know there are issues because they're worried about, you know, well, what will we do if we have to put a track in and uh, Olympics and all that? Let me say this, you know, and they don't want to block, now all of a sudden they don't want to block the peristyle. Wow, gosh, somebody should have told them about the Audi suite. <laughs> uh, but it's like, oh, we can't, they got to figure out a better way to do that. I thought it was interesting too, we didn't have any architectural firm or stadium design firm attached to the plan, which seemed odd to me. Usually when you have these things, you know, for a, you know, a, a venue as important as the Coliseum, I mean, you could easily make the case that the Coliseum is by far the most important, you know, stadium in the history of the United States and maybe, you know, the second most important in the history of the world. Why wasn't there, you know, some major architectural firm that was listed in terms of, you know, this is what we recommend, or this is uh, this is how it's going to go, and all that. It was just, I think, unsatisfying uh, to say the least. And I'll be interested to see how luck, how you know, how they are able to raise that 270 million. I'm just not seeing a groundswell of uh, enthusiasm, you know, for the Coliseum project. All right, let's uh, move on. We're going to do one last voicemail question, and then we got a bunch of. Uh coaching topics dan but let me play this one for you uh jd from dc uh question for dan weber dan is it amazing that so many people are writing off clay helton for the next uh, head coach's job at usc because he didn't beat cal by 20 points like we did utah i mean helton has just this huge challenge he's turning around a program the past two years that had an alcoholic head coach the wrong schemes on both offense and defense you know like a three four zone blocking pass happy etc he's had to start five freshmen on defense at times and now he's dealing with this large and injury problem as any team in the country and yes that includes ucla including losing the favorites for the remington and bulletnikoff awards for the season now 
If Helton wins out and wins his second major bowl, he's a top candidate for coach of the year, for Pete's sake. And he's going to be an interview for many openings, but he's not USC caliber. And that doesn't even take into consideration the kids love him, and he's a great West Coast recruiter. Well, uh, J.D., I think you make the point that let's let this play out. You know, I mean, I just I, – uh, that's what I, I wrote in, in just saying this week, uh, that um, you can't – I mean, it's like sending in, you know, two plays and uh, assume – you don't know what happens on the first play. How can you call the second play? I mean, people are wanting to call, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. They have no idea how this turns out. I mean, I think, gosh, I mean, you can you can wait. Uh, just enjoy it. And uh, you don't have to make every, you know, oh, that was a bad timeout. He's not the right coach. You know, or I didn't like that, you know, whatever, that one play call. Oh, he's not the right coach. No, come on. It's just cool it, guys. I mean, really, uh, that has to – and I know it's great, you know, for us. It gets everybody excited and they keep brightening in and, you know, there's nothing better for, uh, you know, a, a fan website, uh, nothing better for the peristyle than have a coaching search and a coaching change and all that kind of thing. I mean, everybody gets into it. But uh, I would back off in terms of trying to say who absolutely is or isn't a candidate. I mean, there are some people, I mean, I might not say it, but there are some people absolutely are not candidates, and and uh, and and you just say no, 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 no. But there are people. There are a lot of cases that you can make for a lot of people uh, in a lot of different ways, and uh, I think we just let it play out. Let everybody's season play out, and get as much information as you can on everybody, uh, and, uh, and 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 find the best guy. I mean, it's just that simple. Find the best guy. Who will be the best guy to lead USC? And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a call. You know, it's all not a quantitative thing. This isn't an exact science. Somebody's got to make a call at the end. And I know that's why USC guys are getting a little crazy because they know how the call was made uh, in the previous two times. I think the perfect example, and this is, okay, so you can say, well, I don't know if this could happen, but let's say it does. Let's say Clay wins out wins these last four games. Let's say they get to the championship game and they get a rematch with Stanford and they win that game. So let's say they go to the Rose Bowl. I mean, so that they knock Stanford out of the Rose Bowl. Okay, so they go to the Rose Bowl and they get on Iowa or somebody like that and they win that game. And Clay ends up 8-1 and this year, 9-1 and overall as an uh, interim coach. Put that together with uh, uh, Ed Orgeron's 6-2 and uh, record as a uh, an interim coach. And the two interim coaches the last uh, three years would have a 15-3 and three record. <laughs> now, match that up against the two guys who are getting multiple millions of dollars, and it costs unbelievable millions of dollars in transition costs to bring them in. Yeah, I mean, if you were watching USC from the outside, you'd say, wow, that's crazy. The guys they didn't want, they didn't hire, are going crazy, and the guys they did want and did hire, you know, had to both be fired in the middle of the season. I mean, it's just kind of almost hard to believe when you look at it from the outside that, you know, you could get it in a way that wrong and that right. One of the things it tells you is, yes, he's got some pretty good players. If two interim coaches can come in and, uh, and they have a chance to be 
pretty good pretty quick. I mean, Notre Dame is now, what, today in the uh, uh, college football playoffs, number five team in the country. And let's face it, you know, they had a chance to beat Notre Dame. I mean, for half the game, they were way better than Notre Dame. Obviously, they got a slow start and they got a slow finish. But uh, that USC team, if you got, if that team would get a chance to play Notre Dame in a ball game somewhere, they'd have a heck of a chance. So that's a, a pretty amazing when you when you think about uh, uh, what what these guys have been able to do who USC didn't want as their head coach. So, yeah, going forward, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's kind of scary to, to think about where this, where this goes. But, uh, uh, you know, just hang in there uh, and, and don't rule anybody out that really is legitimately has a chance. And, and, and that would include Clay Helton, without a doubt. Um, we, got a few, we got some more on this topic, as you can imagine. Uh, Justin and yep. the O.C., says, at the end of the Cal game, I thought to myself, what if any of the last three coaches was coaching this team in this game? So I'm going to ask you the same. What if Lane Kiffin was still coaching this team in this game? Would they have won? Coach O, what about Sark? I think Kiffin would have lost in a flunky way. Uh, O would have won, but it would have been close. Sark would have lost big. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Justin, in the Orange County. You know, I mean... I won't say like some people say, I don't answer hypotheticals. I think you can make the case for what you just said, you know, and I was just followed on what I just said, that the two big money uh, uh, head coaching selections probably would have lost and the two interim guys would have won. And what does that tell you? Well, uh, that's what it tells you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> um, all right, we got, uh, let's see. We got Dave. He says, with three games under his belt, Clay Helton is two and one. The two wins have been good, but hardly without questionable issues during the games. I think for SC to keep Helton, he will need at a minimum to win all the remaining games, which will be a tall order. He said, maybe not the Pac-12 championship game should they get there. With the love and support that the players display for Coach Helton, my concern is they, the players, are setting themselves up for another letdown, similar to when uh, Orgeron was not kept. Should Clay Helton not be retained, how much, if at all, will this factor into the thought process of keeping Coach Helton or letting him go for another coach? Uh, thanks for keeping us Trojan fans in the know from Dave uh, in Glendora, California, home of Matt Fink. And just to be, just to add on to that, Dan, we've seen players started to tweet a hashtag. It was like Clay Helton 2016, USC 2016 or something like that. So certainly the players are, are behind this again. And I could see... If he's not retained, that could be a, another letdown situation. Although, you know what, and, and this is the, the craziness of it, uh, I doubt if they could have a bigger letdown than they had with O. Yeah. Uh, it was, bam, it just came, and all of a sudden he was gone, and they were just devastated. And they went out in that Las Vegas ball and just absolutely beat the you-know-what out of uh, Fresno State, and they could not have played better. And they loved playing for you know Coach Helton, so – uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know how big of a factor that is. Uh, if he wins out and wins everything, uh, you know, and does all the things, I mean, will USC take that into consideration? I think just the fact that they wasted all that money on transition costs after, you know, and they basically said goodbye to a really good coaching staff and, you know, and only two of them left. 
And obviously we looked at T. Martin and Clay Helton and we say, wow, that was a really good coaching staff that they had. I mean, give Lane credit. Uh, he put together one heck of a coaching staff. Uh, so, uh, uh, could they, you know, look at this year, this team, if they finish that way and say, you know, we kind of screwed it up last time. Maybe we shouldn't do. I guess that's a, that's a possibility. Uh, should they do it because the players were going to be devastated? I don't know if that's the way you can do it. Uh, I just think you gotta, you gotta go for, Who's the best? It's the same thing. The people that said, "Oh, you have to bring in uh, Lane Kiffin because he's the only guy that can save the recruiting class that first year," and uh, you know, or the people who didn't want to let Sark go. They said, "I know he's got issues, and but he's such a great recruiter." And you all of a sudden realize USC is doing the recruiting here. Okay, I mean, it's USC that uh, if you do it right, uh, USC will recruit these kids so i wouldn't make the recruiting or saving a class or any of that you just need to get the best coach you can for usc football you know at this point in time and it shouldn't be the best coach for the people that he's working for or it shouldn't be the best coach for who won't push the you know push people too hard or who gets usc or all that kind of stuff just who's the best football coach that they can find anywhere where the young guy uh established guy, NFL guy, college guy, who's the best coach? And that's a really hard decision. Uh, it's hard to coach USC. You know, it's hard. These top jobs are really hard jobs. It's also hard to figure out who's the right guy for that job. The track record isn't very good at USC right now for figuring those things out. And the process isn't very clear as to how that's going to happen. And you know they're under pressure, and they know they're under pressure. Um, so, so I don't know. Uh, I, I really, I don't think we know enough about where this is all going. But, uh, but when Clay House, you know, is involved, I think we should just, uh, you know, say, go get them. And, and you should hope that it comes down to a really hard call at the end, which will mean that Clay has uh, and this team have performed to the point where they make it a really hard call. I think that's what people ought to be saying is, gosh, I hope he makes it a really, really, really tough decision for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, similar to what Orgeron did. Um, Tarek had a question. This is interesting. If Clay Helton is not named head coach, would he react differently than Ed Orgeron did when he was not named head coach? Well, I don't think it's quite the same situation. I think Ed's situation was uh, a reaction to – feeling like he had been strung along and hadn't been really uh, given the shot that he thought he had been told he was going to be given. And I think there was that situation. Uh, I'm not sure that will play in this time. My personalities are not the same. The people are not the same exactly. And uh, I think that was more a uh, an absolute personal thing that you know in terms of feeling whether uh, he was uh, uh, honestly uh, dealt with the entire way through and maybe uh, feeling like you know what this wasn't ever going to be and I needed to be told that uh, or if it wasn't ever going to be and I don't know that there have been any of those kinds of you know 
situations, uh, you know, and promises and all that with Clay. I just think Clay's, you know, you're the interim coach, and, uh, you know, he knows he's going to just keep competing like crazy to see if he can be, uh, you know, the head guy. And I think that's where where that leads. So I don't think it'll. I don't think it's quite the same. And, and Clay and 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 Ed are, are you know two different uh, personalities, distinctly different you know personalities. And and so I would guess not. But uh, you know, uh, you want people to be treated fairly and honestly, and not have the feeling that uh, you know they were misled. And uh, that's kind of hard to take. Uh, I, even then, I know I certainly you know, stepped out of this role and tried to convince Ed not to leave and A, and then B, come back uh, and, you know, take a couple of days and come back. And he was really hurt and it it was, it was not to be. And I think that, you know, I mean, Ed's doing great now and he's with the, at a great program and they love him and he's, you know, recruiting like crazy and uh, coaching up the defense like crazy, uh, the defensive line. Uh, and, uh, you know, you wished uh, that that could have, you know, remained somehow here at uh, USC because he really loved, you know, has always loved USC like crazy. But uh, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily see it, you know, going the same way this time. Okay, we got two more. Uh, Hayden from LA, and he spells it the way a lot of people spell Pat Hayden's name incorrectly, H-A-Y-D-E-N, which is not how okay. Pat Hayden spells it. Uh, but he said. The question for Dan, just wanted to know, what's Clay Helton's relationship with Clancy Pendergast? And this name comes up a lot, Dan. If Clay is retained as the permanent head coach, is it a possibility that Clancy is brought back to run the defense? People have forgotten so quickly that we had the number one defense in the Pac-12 under Clancy in 2013, which was a big part of Orgeron's success after the Kiffin hiring, just uh, firing, I think he meant. Just wanted to see if you or Dan had any insights to the Clay slash Clancy relationship. Fight on from Hayden. Uh, it was interesting. I don't, I don't think we ever got the sense of what Clancy's relationship to everybody was. He was a really interesting guy in terms of he was uh, he was out where you know by you know out there in his own place. And uh, Ed loved him. I know that. I mean, Ed just they were wowed. I mean. It, it, the rest of the coaches were wowed by his intel, how smart he was. They thought he was absolutely, Ed said, gosh, I've learned so much, you know, from Clancy. Uh, and they basically turned Clancy loose and, uh, and let, you know, and, uh, and just let him do whatever he, my guess is, uh, Clay would be in that same place as Ed and was on the offensive side of the ball. So he wasn't working directly with him all the time, but, uh, but I think that staff just really love one another and really respected one another as coaches, and it showed. I mean, they just uh, they really got along well. Uh, where what Clancy's situation will be, I don't. You know, what's going to happen in San Francisco? I don't know. They uh, that would be, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that would be in play if uh, if certain things happen. So uh, you know, I. Uh, I think you'd have, I think there'd be, you know, there'd be some hard decisions to make in terms of, you know, staffing and all of that, even if, you know, Clay, uh, you know, becomes, uh, say, would be retained. I still think, um, there'd be, you know, this has been such a turnover, so much turmoil, so many transitions, so many 
you know, I mean, it, it's not very long ago we were all getting to know uh, Clancy and uh, Tommy Robinson and Mike Eckler and, you know, that group, and, and all of a sudden they're all over the country and you got a new group. And um, how how it would shape up, I don't think we could even begin to, you know, uh, try to predict that right now. But uh, it would be interesting. We got one last one. Frank in Sacramento. Uh, Sacramento. I said Sacramento. Frank in Sacramento. Uh, he said, I disagree with Dan Uh-oh. on hiring hot coaches like Tom Herman from Houston or Justin Fuente from Memphis. Sounds like Andy Enfield all over again. And Urban Meyer or Nick Saban, uh, it says, an Urban Meyer or a Nick Saban win when they move to new locations because they put in place a program of discipline and how things are done by a you know, hundred kids well beyond just the X's and O's. You have to be older to develop a system that works over many years. That's Frank and Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is there are young coaches who are going to be the next great coaches. And one of the things I think if you're doing a coaching search like this is, can you find them? I mean, I'm fairly confident that Tom Herman and Justin Fuente are really going to be the next great coaches. Now, is USC in a position to say, you know, we've identified them and we think, you know, one of these guys is the guy for us? You know, I don't know. I mean, is is bringing a John Harbaugh back, you know, to uh, college where he hasn't been for all that, you know, all that time? Is that the right way to go? You know, or do you you go with precedent? You say, well, we did it with Pete, and it worked, and he hadn't coached in college for a long while. <laughs> or we uh, everybody justifies know, you, everyone, Dan, with Pete Carroll. Oh. Well, that guy got fired. Well, Pete Carroll, he was, it was like, okay, what's in a generation coach that does not justify any NFL washout for being the next Pete Carroll? Well, or they say, well, you hired two guys who were about 40 and they really were, you know, still weren't, you know, proven guys at all and Lane and Sark. So therefore you can't hire anybody else who's 40 and we don't think he's proven enough or not. And that's where the, you know, the real, Genius comes in and making this kind of decision. I mean, I don't think you can just throw those criteria around and say, because this guy matches this guy, this guy's out, you know, or because this guy, you know, is. I mean, let's, let's look at the great coaches in USC's history. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, gosh, uh, I'm trying to think, where did boom, 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 boom. Uh, Howard Jones came from Iowa, I guess. He was already. A great coach. So that was, you know, that at that point in time, you hired a great coach. Uh, Pete was different. Uh, John McKay was, an, uh, you know, an assistant at Oregon who had two really struggling, you know, years one and two. And who, no one would have predicted after those two years, and he came very close to not making it to year three. And uh, uh, nobody knew uh, that he was going to be this absolutely great, you know, college football coach. Uh, so it's so difficult, I think, to just grab this, you know, stat or this number or this criterion and say, aha, this makes it certain one way or aha, this makes it certain another way. Um, I think it's, it's such a qualitative judgment where you just know enough as much as you can possibly know about these guys. You sit down with them, 
and you got to know what you really want. I mean, what do you want? Do you want, you know, somebody who who gets USC? You know, I mean, a lot of us, I think Ryan and I get USC at this point. Uh, <laughs> so what? You know, I mean, you want the guy that's going to be the best guy to lead this football program, and it's going to require a whole lot of, you know, qualities and talents and abilities, and uh, and and you just got to go and sift through them all. And I wouldn't eliminate, you know, any one person for any one thing uh, if they've got a lot of qualities that you really like. And and you know, and for me, you know, I absolutely would not eliminate either uh, Herman or Fuente. I just, I just absolutely wouldn't. You gotta talk to them. You gotta, you know, really get a sense of of who they are and how they fit with USC. You know, it's not so much do they get USC, but do they fit? How do they fit? You know, in terms of their vision and their way they work and the the way they, I mean, you have to go through and look at how is uh, how have they staffed up their programs, you know, at the next level down. Uh, it sure looks like they've done a terrific job in uh, bringing in staff together at uh, Memphis and Houston. Uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, there's just so many, you know, so many things that have to go into this. I mean, I just think. Uh, you know, is USC capable of, of doing all the things that have to be done when you look at some of the searches, uh, you know, in recent years? But I wouldn't, I would not characterize uh, either Fuente or Herman as uh, as the same as uh, the way they hired Andy Unfield. I mean, and I like I like Andy, and I absolutely applaud for him to make it, you know, through. Uh, this year and, and put it all together and they've got enough recruits and they've got enough size and they've got enough athletes to see if it, you know, if you can make it happen. But Andy was a kind of a one week kind of a, you know, two week wonder in, uh, in the NCAA tournament. And those hires probably haven't always turned out to be, you know, the best way to go. Uh, and, you know, that may not be enough of a sample size. Uh, because there were, you know, as many kind of negatives. I mean, I thought that team, he, the Florida Gulf Coast was playing great by the end of the year. I loved the way they were playing. But they'd lost two games already to Lipscomb, and they'd lost, uh, you know, to Mercer. And you just wondered, well, how did that team that looked that good at the end of the year, how did they lose some of those games they did? And, you know, did they do their due diligence and all that? I don't know. But I, I just wouldn't start grabbing this this thing and say, well, this means this for this guy. It's way more complicated than that. It's a really, really complex, um, you know, thing hiring a coach. I mean, I, I got to do that once at Xavier, uh, the SID and assistant AD. One, one time and we went out and we did find the right guy and we were thrilled to death, but man, it was really hard work. We got a, got a guy in the last team that uh ivy league team that got to the final four from penn named bob stack and he turned uh turned it around at xavier he absolutely and the program that xavier has today is a result of him and he got you know hired away to the acc fairly quickly but every other coach that followed has been a really strong coach and that program you know has just become a, a you know a terrific uh asset for the for xavier university but it's really hard work, and it's really you got to make so many judgments because 
everybody's different and everybody's done different things at different places at different times or at different times in their careers. And you just got to go back and forth and back and forth. And, uh, and, and it's not certain at all. And you just try to do the best, you know, job you can possibly do. And, uh, and you really have to kind of know what you're doing, or at least you know where you're going with your, uh, you know, with the whole process. And I don't know that that's been in place. Uh, for the last three major hires at USC, uh, and, you know, in sports and that, that probably can't happen this time. Well, I want to leave, uh, we, that was our last question, but I wanted to kind of chime in on this too. Um, I'll do a, I'm going to try to do a solo podcast tomorrow because we have a bunch of other questions too that were just kind of generic ones. I'll do that. But Dan, so for me, the big difference is I get that it's tough because if you want to hire a, a young head coach like Justin Fuente, Memphis, Tom Herman at Houston, because the last two USC head coaches were young, they're, you know, and I could see Pat Hayden that coming into his thought process or whoever's making the decision. And, but I agree with you. I don't think it should. The issue, the big difference to me is, and someone was tweeting this at me, why, you know, USC seems to be going after people that no one else would go after. If you look at the programs that are at USC's level or even a notch or two below, would they have gone out and tried to hire Lane Kiffin after he'd been at Tennessee for one year? No, I think USC is probably the only program that would have tried to do that. Um, would they about hiring Steve Sarkeesian? Would another Pac-12 team have hired Steve Sarkeesian away? Uh, you know, would would Purdue have wanted to hire Steve? And Purdue, no, probably not. But Justin Fuente and Tom Herman, a lot of people are going to be trying to hire them. It's not like these guys are reaches as far as they're going to be hot prospects. They are hot prospects right now. Even Herman's yeah, like been there I, I would say I would say Fuente. I can't imagine now. I know they're talking at South Carolina. I didn't. I hadn't realized this. Mark D'Antonio is a South Carolina graduate and played there. And he's 59. He's got a heart condition. But you know, Michigan State guys. Everything he's done at Michigan State, you could probably do at South Carolina, or you'd have a chance. I, I think the recruiting base maybe is better in Michigan, to be honest, because the South Carolina just uh, doesn't have enough, you know, high school students that you know can qualify. I think in a lot of ways, but. Uh, uh, but if he doesn't get it, I think Fuente has got to be on the top of their list, uh, uh, and I think he probably is. Uh, and and I think Tom Herman. I mean, the only thing against Herman right now is he's only been at Houston for a year. Right. But yeah. other than that, I mean, and, and I know, and I don't disagree with people who say, look, and I've said this myself many times. Ohio State was in trouble, and they went out and hired Urban Meyer. Uh, Alabama was in trouble, and they went out and hired Nick Saban. Michigan was in trouble, they went out and hired Jim Harbaugh. I mean, that's what those kinds of programs do. Uh, you know, what, wh- who is that guy? Who is that Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, you know, uh, Nick Saban for USC at this point in time? Sometimes it's about timing. You know, Urban stepped away and then he was available and he's an Ohio guy. Uh, Harbaugh's a Michigan guy. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, you know, wanted to prove himself again after what happened to him with the Dolphins and, uh, you know, he went back to the SEC where he'd been with LSU. Uh, is there that guy available for USC? I'm not sure that that pattern, you know, fits for USC, but, uh, but finding the best available guy has to be the, you know, the criterion. That has to be the only criterion. Who's the best guy for USC right now? And I don't think we should eliminate some of those, uh, you know, guys for, you know, just because they remind you of a previous hire that you screwed up. And <laughs> uh, yeah, makes sense, Dan. All right. 
Well, hey, yeah. great stuff. We, we we hit about an hour, so that's not too bad. We went a little long last okay. week, so. Uh, but thank you so much, Dan, for uh, coming on the show again. I enjoyed it. Great questions. Keep them coming. All we right, really great. do enjoy them. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Dan, thanks. And everyone else, hope you enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. And don't forget, we'll have a quick message right here uh, from Michael Moline Real Estate. Thank you very much. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 